Welcome back to Molly Nook Podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Wilkinson. In this episode, my guest is Greta Fairbanks, who is a licensed sign language interpreter who is affiliated with the organization All Hands Interpreting Services. One of Greta's primary interests as an interpreter, which you'll hear more about from her in a moment, is working with musical theater and performance. She covers a wide range of venues, from schools to touring Broadway productions, and discusses not only her experiences and process as an interpreter, but also highlights the significance of that title. And be sure to check out Molly Nook Podcast Season 2, Episode 2, which I reference in this episode, to learn more about how a theater troupe, whose mission is to provide performers with Down Syndrome a chance to take center stage, utilizes sign language in their performances. Please note that in that episode, our discussion is about utilizing sign as a part of performance, not about interpreting, as in this context. And as always, thanks for listening. Why don't you um, introduce yourself and I guess introduce, you know, generally the organization that you're with. Okay, um, my name is Greta Fairbanks and I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I've been a certified sign language interpreter for 23 years now. And um, I work very closely, especially with theatrical interpreting um, with all hands um, interpreting services in Lancaster. There's a couple of directions we could go just right off the bat. I think maybe the best place to start though is um, what is interpreting? Oh, Lord. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> how many hours do we have? No. Um, so I'll give you the abbreviated version. Um, it's basically, I, I consider myself a bridge between two languages, right? So I've got these two people that want to communicate with each other and can't. Um, and so basically, I act as a conduit or a, a facilitator of communication. Um, so I am I am fluent in this, both the source language and the target language. And not only do I bridge the gap um, with just language itself, but I also bridge the cultural gap, right? So there's some stuff that hearing people do that um, deaf people don't and vice versa. And so I have to be knowledgeable about that and be able to facilitate that as well so that there's no miscommunication or misunderstandings or insults or hurt feelings and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that is the very like, simple like <laughs> version of what we do um it's a lot more complex but no i i really appreciate you giving even i think just the simple explanation of of what you do i think there's so much more to it than someone might initially assume mm -hmm. in my experience doing a lot of projects related to the arts i think sometimes well-meaning people will use the word interpreter or refer to interpreting mm -hmm. um, without fully realizing like the kind of significance of that title and and why you know specific people get that title and like the work right. that they do to get that right um what are some of the things like what are the things that you had to do to earn the title of interpreter so I went to Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. They have a four-year degree program there for interpreting. Um, it's one of the best schools in the country for interpreting. And um, the first two years of that program is what um, you actually learn the language. So you're learning the language, you're learning the um, grammar and the um, you know, just everything, the linguistics, everything that goes into the language itself. And then the second two years, you, you focus, shift focus on learning how to interpret the language. Um, so, 
you know, I went through that program. Um, I had to do an internship afterwards. Um, and then I've been working as an interpreter, like I said, for about 23 years now. Um, there's a, a national test that interpreters have to take and pass um, to work. And so I took that um, pretty soon after I graduated and I hold my certificate in um, interpreting and transliteration actually both. Um, so, you know, I had to do that as well. But I think the key thing that people don't understand and we get called signers quite often, which drives us a little bit batty. So FYI, <laughs> public service announcement, please don't call us signers, um, is that there's so much happening um, internally in our brains. Um, that it's a lot more complex than just signing. Um, and so, uh, for example, just really quick, when, we, when we're interpreting simultaneously, we are taking the information in, in the um, source language and then our brains has to, has to understand it in the source language. And then our brain has to convert it um, and understand it in the target language and then produce it in the target language. But this is all while new information is still coming into our ears. So, it's not like we have all of this time. It all happens simultaneously. And so people quite often ask me if my hands are tired after a job and it's never my hands or my arms, it's my brain. My brain is fatigued. Um, and that's why, you know, they have us, you know, if we're doing a long job, we have two interpreters or we switch every 20 minutes because the mental process is just so much more than just signing. The whole process sounds so intense. Yeah, it <laughs> I is. was going to say when you, the first two years of your program, when you're learning that, that sounds intense. Yes. I mean, how much are you expected to know coming into? I came in hardly knowing anything. Um, I, I had taken um, uh, ASL class at Emerson um, before transferring. I was a musical theater major first for two years. Then I, trans I went on tour for a year and then I transferred. Um, but I barely knew anything. I mean, I knew the alphabet and like you're, basic, basic signs. So you don't have to come into a program knowing anything. Some people do. Some people have a deaf family member. Some people, you know, grew up with a neighbor that was deaf. And so they learned it that way. Um, but yeah, your first two years and, and we're typically taught by deaf instructors, which is the best way to learn the language, full immersion. Um, and so, yeah, it's intense. Definitely. Definitely. You talked about the cultural aspects of interpreting, which to me, that seems like a really important part maybe one of the most important parts of the role. Just before we jump headfirst into that, like what are what are the responsibilities of an interpreter? Like what would you consider the most vital parts of your role? At a performance, we're specifically talking theatrical. Yeah. Okay, I just wanna make sure. Um, so for me, um, I want the deaf people to leave with the same experience as the hearing people. That's my ultimate goal, right? I want them to laugh when the hearing audience laughs. I want them to cry when the hearing audience cries. Um, I want a parallel experience. And that is our biggest responsibility. And that is where we spend the majority of our time when we're working on a script is trying to find that equivalent, like having equivalent access. Um, you know, it, that's, that's the ultimate goal. And it's, and it's huge and it's complex. And it's sometimes one sentence will take us hours, literally hours to try to figure out how can we present that information that will be um, culturally and linguistically um, equivalent to what the hearing audience is walking away with. You know, the worst thing for us is having everyone in the next to the, our deaf section laughing and the, and the deaf people looking at each other like, well, what was so funny? Like, that's terrible. Like, you don't ever want that to happen. You know, you really, that is our ultimate goal. 
Definitely. Yeah. I, um, I can't even imagine like having approaching, trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work, mm -hmm. but I can tell you a, a specific story. I was doing Tuesdays with Maury, um, at the Fulton Opera House in Lancaster. And, um, I remember after that performance, uh, a deaf woman and her daughter, her hearing daughter came up to me afterwards and the hearing daughter said, it was so beautiful for me to look over at my mom and see that she was crying when I, like we were crying together. Like I didn't have to explain to her why I was crying or, you know, try to fill in the gaps. Like we were having this amazing parallel experience. And so that just, I felt like, yes, okay, we did our job. You know, it wasn't just me. I had a team, but like, I was like super proud of that because that's like, that's the goal. Yeah, that's it. That's what we want to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, that must be so. That's amazing. And I, yeah. I think um, going back to talking about culturally, something that I think is really important to, to bring up and just, you know, keep highlighting is that American Sign Language and Sign Language universally are their own languages fully. I think sometimes people just get the or have the idea where they think that, oh, sign language is just a way of communication with your hands, mm -hmm. but it in and of itself is a language. So when you talk about cultural and you talk about making these impacts, like, I don't know, what specifically, like, what are you referring to, like, culture, when we talk about culturally speaking, what does that mean? Sure. Well, um, so there are certain, there are certain aspects of the English language that don't translate, right? So, like, raining cats and dogs, like, idioms don't translate. Like, that makes no sense in sign language. A deaf person would be like, what are you talking about? Um, so we definitely have to take that kind of stuff into, um, you know, into our process and, and figure out, okay, well, we know what that means. So now let's translate the meaning to it. Um, you know, sign language is a very visual language, obviously. It's a very facially vis um, visual language as well. And so not so much in theater situations, but there's often situations where I know a hearing person will be watching a deaf person sign. They'll be like, wow, they just look so angry or they look so, you know, intense. And that's the language. Like that, it's not that they're not like, they're not, well, maybe they're angry, but <laughs> they're not, you know, it's part of the language is your facial grammar. Like literally there's aspects of my face that our grammars like, noun would be in in you know in English um, and so it's kind of like making sure that that gets translated as well so that no one gets either offended or they're like why are they looking at me like that or you know those kinds of things so it, it, it kind of goes both ways um, just trying to bridge that gap um, and making sure that like there's signs in American Sign Language that, you know, for English, it might be for, for American Sign Language, one sign. And then for English, it's like four sentences. You know, I have to, I have to voice four sentences because it, it, that one sign encapsulates so much information. Um, so yeah, that's a big part of what we do too. Yeah, for sure. This was like just a thought that I had um, mm -hmm. earlier this week. There, there must be tons of examples of uh, like, how do you approach interpreting or translating, um, like a pun or something like, like, like you're talking about? <laughs> um, and that's the perfect example of when we spend hours on a sentence, like literally hours. Um, yeah, we, we, what we tried to do is we tried to play with hand shapes. So if there's a way to make 
um, the sign funny in some way to put it somewhere else on our body that, you know, might show something else or to sign it the wrong way. But, you know, that a deaf person would be like, oh, that's, you know, that's funny. Um, mm -hmm. That's clever. Just like the hearing audience is thinking, oh, that's funny. That's clever. Um, but God, those take they're so intense. They're so hard to do. Um, that's why shows like um, the Book of Mormon, um, you know, shows like that that are heavily English-based shows, right? So it's like all these puns, all these plays on words, all these like hearing jokes are just, they're a nightmare <laughs> to be quite honest. They are just, they're a lot of work, a lot of work, yeah. Yeah, I bet they are. <laughs> Another thing where I was just thinking about, because I know, um, generally speaking, across the board, it's very difficult to translate that kind of content from one language into another. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, sign uses a different medium of communication. Yeah. And I mean, that's when it's great to have um, deaf people um, act as consultants mm -hmm. and you can be like, hey, and I did this all the time. I'm like, hey, can you just watch me sign this? And do you think it's funny? And if they're like, no, <laughs> I'm like, oh, OK, back to the drawing board mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you know, or I'll even say, like, what do you think like would make this equivalent or how can I make this equivalent? Um, so definitely including the deaf community is key. Absolutely. That was actually my next bullet point um, yeah. in this thing, which was the exact question that I wrote was how closely do interpreters work alongside or consult with members of the deaf community? So unfortunately, um, well, it, it, it really depends on where you're based. There are some theaters that will pay for a deaf consultant um, and uh, it's great. It's the most fabulous thing. I encourage every single um, theater company to do it, um, but they bring on a consultant basically. And they, you know, we basically bounce all, all of our ideas and all of our um, approaches to the interpretation off of that person. Um, and it's wonderful. Uh, I've worked with um, some coaches at different theaters um, and it's just been, it's been so beneficial really to just have that, um, experience and their knowledge base and their, you know, it's their primary language. So you're going to, you know, you're going to get what the language should look like from the people that are going to be receiving it. So, yeah, unfortunately, though, like I said, a lot of theater companies won't pay for um, a deaf consultant to come on board, but they should, they really should. Yeah, that, that is kind of disappointing to hear. Um, that to me just sounds like, I don't know, Sometimes I, I encounter situations in my line of work, um, accessibility and performance is a pretty significant part of that, where it seems like, you know, again, talking about good intentions, someone has the good intention of, oh, well, we should try to make this accessible, but then not following through. Right. On all of the. Well, and sometimes it's just like, they don't know what they don't know. You know what I mean? Like. They don't know, oh, that's what I should do. You know, um, I should bring a deaf person in. I didn't even occur to me to do that, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that is like the number one um, situation for a lot of these, or that's the number one reason for a lot of these situations is right. if you just are unaware of something and the only way, I guess, to overcome that is to become aware of that thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, let's just like jump fully into um, your kind of specific area. Sure. Which I'm really excited about. I just think it's so cool to be able to chat with someone um, who interprets performance, because that's a big part of, again, accessibility and performance. That's a big part of this, this podcast series. 
what are what's what do you commonly interpret what are your what, what do you usually um um, well, I love to do musicals. Like I said, that's my background. Um, and so kind of, it's funny that the agencies locally here know that when they get a high school musical or, you know, a school play or, or even something larger than that, that they usually reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, we know this is kind of your niche. Do you want to, do you want to take this on? Um, so I prefer to do musicals um, just because, like I said, that's my background, but I've done, you know, tons of concerts as well um and uh school plays and you know anything from you know your elementary school all the way up to uh you know a professional theater yes that's what i was trying to figure out in that like real time asking that question what is the range and you've basically answered it but what is the range of of places that you'll be assigned to and yeah it sounds like all across the board everywhere yeah everywhere and I also, um, I also have auditioned and got a place with, um, so I interpret on the Disney Cruise Line. Wow. Well. Yeah, and that was like a huge uh, career goal for me was to, uh, was to do that. I actually have a cruise coming up um, in a couple of months, but yeah, so that's been like a wild experience as well. So yeah, it literally is like everything from your little elementary school play where, you know, the kids are standing there and they're waving to their parents uh, all the way up through, you know, Lady Gaga or, uh, you know, something like that. Yeah. You mentioned that you've also done a lot of um, touring Broadway. Yeah, so uh, the Hershey Theater, they have four shows a season that are the touring Broadway shows that come in to town. Um, and All Hands has a, the contract with them to provide interpreters for each of those performances. So typically we do like all four, um, depending on our availability, but um, I'll typically try to do all four of the shows a year. That sounds awesome. So what are, what are some of the shows you've interpreted for? Oh my God, okay. So, um, Beauty and the Beast, Warhorse. Um, I just finished doing um, Hairspray. That was so fun. Um, I loved that. That was really, really exciting to do. Um, Matilda, uh, Mary Poppins. Um, I mean, I could literally sit here. I, <laughs> it's been years and years and years. Um, you know, those are some of my favorites, I guess. Um, Cinderella, you know, basically anything that comes through. I'm really excited about this um, upcoming season at um, Hershey because they're doing six is coming through and um, some of the more recent stuff on Broadway is coming through. Hades Town is coming through. And so it's cool to get like more current stuff. You know, they're doing like My Fair Lady, which is a throwback as well, but it's like they're mixing it in with some of the more recent stuff, which is awesome. My dream show is to do um, Dear Evan Hansen. I haven't had the opportunity mm -hmm. to do that yet, but I'm hoping it'll come to Hershey soon so I can get my hands up for that. That's so cool. So um how you talk about your dream show what how do you what why what makes some shows so appealing to you to um to do interpreting for so I think it's your connection with the show mm -hmm. so um I've seen Darabin Hansen twice already on Broadway um I'm, I read the book I you know I listen to the soundtrack all the time um I think it's just like I have a connection to it like I did Les Mis and I've done it probably I don't know Maybe I've interpreted that show like two or three times. I just have a strong connection to that show. Um, I know all the music in and out, um, which is a huge relief when you go to start prepping, um, when you already know all the lyrics 
um, is really helpful. <laughs> so, but like, I just have a really, like when you feel connected to a character, you feel connected to a show, it just, um, yeah, it just makes it a lot more meaningful, I think, and easier. Would you say that interpreting for performances is different than like, if you were at like a conference or you're doing like a Definitely. speech? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, 100%. It definitely seems that way. What are some of the things that you're doing differently or, or what are you, what's like the optimal way to interpret a performance? Sure. So, um, well, I can talk a little bit about how, how we prep for it. Um, mm -hmm. That might lead to an answer. So we usually go and preview the show before. Um, and what I personally am doing when I go preview the show is I, by that point, we already know, like I'm this specific character and, you know, we've broken down all the characters. So I go with my characters in mind and I watch the actors or actresses and I look for any kind of um, body, you know, how they hold themselves or a way that they speak or anything that I can use so that when the deaf person is watching us, they'll be like, oh, right now she is, you know, this character. Oh, now she's this character, right? Because there's, you know, there might be like 15 characters on stage and there's only two or three interpreters. So mm -hmm. we all have to be a bunch of different people. So you have to find a way to kind of encompass that, like, and make sure that we're you know, I'm reflecting what's going on on stage so that they can easily look at me and know, oh, now she's this person. Um, so that's a huge part of our prep is that for me, I'll speak personally, that's how I prep um, is that I really try to look for nuances that I can incorporate so that I can make it easier on the deaf person so they know who's speaking at all times. They don't have to kind of do that ping ponging back, back and forth to the stage. Um, you know, a compliment I got once um, after a performance, it was, this was for like an elementary school performance, but one of the deaf parents came up to me afterwards and they said, was that that song that you just did? That was like a, you know, it was a, a Latino song, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, it was. And, and that was awesome because I tried in my interpretation and how I signed it to convey that that's the kind of music that it was, right? So like, this is a ballad versus I'm gonna interpret a ballad way differently than I'm gonna in, uh, interpret an up-tempo song, right? Um, I'm going to interpret a dramatic scene way differently than I'm going to, to interpret something that's supposed to be humorous. Um, so, you know, keeping all of that in mind, not only that, but your actual physical sign space is going to be a lot bigger, right? So for a conference, I might keep everything kind of right in front of me um, and more subdued, not subdued, but, you know, an acceptable range. Um, theatrical interpreting, you know, you've got to be a little bit bigger. You got to really open up your arms, open up your sign space. Things have to be bigger. Um, we have more freedom to play with your team, right? So we can play off of each other. Um, and so all of those things I try to keep in mind when when I'm preparing so that like I said the ultimate goal is to have that equivalent experience yeah definitely I would hope that that would be the way that um the interpreters would approach that because I think um you know you've got a, if you've got like a bombastic performance happening you would want to have that kind of reciprocated by the way that you're receiving the information right um that's super cool so I don't want to um make the comparison that you're doing a performance, but it sounds like you're trying to match the level of the performance as it's happening. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. 
Um, like I said, I really, I really try to reflect um, as much as I can um, what's happening on stage, not in a way that I'm stealing focus, because um, we don't want to steal focus. That's not what we're aiming to do, but we do want to give that, like I said, that equivalent experience. And so, you know, yeah, um, yeah just trying to match as closely as possible. This is a question, I guess, for just in your personal experience, do you think that having the two years of um, musical theater background has uh, helped you in any oh, way? Oh, God, for, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it not just in theatrical interpreting, but interpreting in general, right? So we, every day of my career, what we do is we get up and we become other people, right? That's what we do. That's part of our job. Um, and so if you're shy or timid or don't want to make facial expressions or, you know, like, this is not the career for you <laughs> because that's what we do all day. Um, so I think that that definitely helped me. You know, that wasn't a hurdle at all for me to to kind of do that. So I would imagine that you'd have to have some level of stage presence to be an interpreter, especially for a performance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's an interesting question. And then I'm going to get back to some more structured ones. This is another okay. one that I just thought about. I'm sure the vocabulary is different. Um, when you're doing like, yeah, you were talking about like school presentations versus performance. Are there any particular signs that you find you're using a lot more frequently for, um, in performance? Is that an unusual, is that a weird question? No, it's not actually. Um, I almost am going to talk about like the verse though. Like there's signs that I don't use in performance interpreting um, because they're just, um, for me personally, I don't feel like they're musical. Right. So like if I'm and I'm talking about songs specifically, right, if I'm in doing a musical and, you know, I'm it's Cinderella and she's singing a, a ballad, you know, um, there are signs that are a little bit more they're rigid or they're, you know, like this, like this is, you know, well, obviously your listeners can't see it, but um, there are just signs that are more um like choppy it's hard to explain but just more rigid they don't that like you wouldn't be like oh that's like a pretty sign I hate to use that word because I hate mm -hmm. when people are like oh so pretty um but you know what I mean like they just they don't lend themselves to um songs and so I try to avoid them when I'm when I'm interpreting theater no I definitely know what you mean they're not um yeah rhythmic is that almost yeah the word? or they yeah. don't yeah yeah, they just don't lend themselves to songs, in my opinion. Yeah. One of the things, so I did a podcast last year um, with the Sign Language Organization at Penn State. They don't do interpretation. They're not licensed because um, it's just a bunch of students. Okay. But they do um, teach performers in a performance troupe whose role or purpose is to highlight performers who have Down syndrome. So they take center stage. Oh, cool. They taught them signs to use during songs because, um, you know, first, I think it's good just in general to learn sign language or to have some signs under your belt. And also, you know, not all of the performers um, preferred to do singing, but they wanted sure. to be on stage and be part of the performance. But they talked about uh, how when they approach, you know, incorporating sign language into a performance, thinking about signs that um, kind of lend themselves to the words and the performance that's happening. And they give kind of a cool example of in the song For Good from Wicked. Um, there's a line about half, halfway through the woods and they do the sign for tree, but they, they pull the trees back as 
uh, as they're doing it so that it looks like they're moving forward through a forest. Sure. Is that something? Yep. Is, do you think about things like that at all? Is that part of sign interpreting? Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, what the one thing I really love about theatrical interpreting is that there's you have a lot more freedom to play, um, to play with signs and and kind of do things that you wouldn't normally be like quote unquote allowed to do um, in a, a traditional situation interpreting situation. Um, so I love being able to play with the language in ways, and that's where the deaf consultant comes in as well because they you know you'll be struggling with this one line and then they'll come up with this beautiful thing that you never thought of. And you're like, oh God, why did I think of that? Um, but it's great. And just being able to play off your team too. You know, there are times where it's totally appropriate to kind of sign something at the same time, or, you know, you use one hand, I'll use the other. And, you know, it just being able to really play with the language in ways that we normally can't have um, the freedom to do. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like fun. It is. It yeah. is. It's a lot of work, but it's fun. Yeah. yeah. The payoff is great. Is there a difference or do you try to uh, invoke a difference between signing dialogue that's happening versus yes. signing a song? And when the yeah. transition happens, like, I don't know, do you feel yourself having doing the transition? Absolutely. Um, like I've mentioned before, there are just some signs that I would use in dialogue that I would never use in a song and vice versa. Um, and um, it also, I think like your body posture, the way you hold yourself, the way you're looking, like your facial grammar, um, you know, it's very important to me to convey, okay, I'm gonna about to do a ballad. Like this is what, you know, um, and so incorporating all of those little facets to just try to make it crystal clear that you're exactly what, you know, exactly what's happening on the stage for the hearing audience is also taking place for the deaf audience as well. How, how, how typical is it to have more than one interpreter? Um, for, from, well, I'll speak for the, the, you know, Broadway stuff that we do. Uh, we definitely have two, if not three. Um, it depends on the show, um, and how many characters there are. Um, if there's like natural break, um, male, female, um, you know, it, you know, it, it varies how we break down the characters, but, um, yeah, typically you have at least two, um, I have been in situations more for like the elementary school plays and, and whatnot that I've done solo. Um, and that's fine. I mean, whatever, but, um, but for the, you know, higher level stuff, we definitely have more than one person. That's cool. So you, you actually have your own within your space. Like there even is the, the dynamic of two different characters having a conversation you can recruit or you can communicate that effectively. Right. And sometimes like, you know, we really try hard when we get the script to break down the characters in a way that you're not, um, what, what I'll say, talking to yourself um, a lot. So like that you're not the same character in a scene having a, a dialogue with yourself, um, but that it, it inevitably happens. It happens in every single show. There's just kind of like no way to avoid that. Um, but that's where that role shifting comes in um, where we're clearly showing, okay, now this person's talking, now this person's talking. And where there's where those nuances of what the character physically might look like or sound like um, what, that you can incorporate so that the deaf person's like, oh, now she's this person. Oh, now she's this person. Even though I'm talking to myself um, or signing with myself, you know, it's still crystal clear who I am at all times. Right. That's so cool. So, I mean, sign language as a kind of a physical language, 
you're also utilizing your space, like your whole body space. So mm -hmm. I know this is what you were doing. I'll just <laughs> clarify if you're listening. Um, like you, you, you could be pivoted one direction for one character with like a, you know, straight back and then pivot right. and then change your posture. Right. That's cool. And for like, here's a, here's a kind of simple example, but we did Finding Neverland, which was like an amazing show. I loved that show. Um, and I was, uh, one of my characters was Hook. And so I literally signed everything when I was that character. I always had one hand in a hook and the other hand normally. And I had to learn how to sign the script like that so that it was like, you could not mistake <laughs> when I was hook, <laughs> you know, because I always had this hand shape going on, you know, the hook hand shape. So that was a challenge, but it was fun and it worked. Like it worked for most of it, it worked. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like, I don't know, I, I think, that sounds like a really fun way to experience that. Um, yeah, that yeah. representation. I hope so. That, that's the goal. It's funny that you mentioned mistakes. I had this question on here. How do you handle mistakes? I would assume you just move past it, right? But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, um, um, there, you can always try to fix it as you go, like at, uh, at a later time. Um, but it's really difficult because it's typically really fast moving. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we try to practice and rehearse as much as we possibly can um, prior to. And there's just like so much prep time that goes into preparing for these shows. I mean, people think, you know, basically we have to memorize the entire script. We have to memorize all of the songs. Um, so it's a lot of work that we do beforehand to avoid having mistakes, but mistakes happen. And you kind of, like I said, if you, if you can kind of repair it um, in, a, in a couple lines, you know, then we try to do that. Um, but if not, yeah, you just, you really have no choice, but to just go move past it. I can see why you would, you'd say your brain is tired afterwards. Oh. I mean, I understood that before you talked about that, yeah. but I mean, as you're getting new information, trying to figure out if there's a way that you can adjust or fix information that you've already uh, presented. Well, yeah. Especially the more rapid, um, more fast paced shows and like shows like Hamilton I mean I've not I've not done it and I don't know that I really want to to be quite honest because I can't imagine but like a show like that like holy cow um that's why I think I'm really excited to do six um that's coming out because I think that will be challenging but I I, I yeah I'm I'm excited for that challenge yeah. but yeah you're right it's so it's so fast paced yeah, that, yes, that is just, I just think about, I don't know, when I think about musical, right, my first thought is something like, I don't know, cats, and that can be pretty, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I go there. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> We're, we've been kind of orbiting prep time. This is kind of my last major area that I wanted to, to talk sure. about, because I don't know, there must be so much prep, there must be so much prep time, and there's probably even more prep time than I could possibly imagine that goes yeah, into it. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about memorizing basically the entire book, right? Mm -hmm, pretty much. Yeah. Um, for example, I just did Into the Heights, which mm -hmm. is the same um, person that did Hamilton. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of rap, a lot of hidden meaning, subtext, geez, subtext out the wazoo. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we literally, you walk around with your scripts 
all the time. You have your script on you, you have the audio recording on your phone. Um, it's what I listen to in the car all the time. So even if I'm not actively trying to interpret the songs, they're just like, I'm just hoping by like osmosis, like they'll just come into my brain, you know? Um, but just like literally exposing myself to it as much as I possibly can, as much as I possibly can. Um, but the prep time is, is, is crazy and you have to meet with your team. So then now we're taking time as a team to come together and be like, okay, well, I have this line. How are you going to interpret your response? Cause we have to match. Like I can't sign one thing and your response be like, totally like different. We have to use the same sign or we have to have the same, like, we have to have the same understanding of what that line means. So it is, I mean, we do more script analysis than I, I think the actors probably do. I mean, we just have to really go in there and talk about it and figure out what makes sense. And, um, yeah, it's, it's intense. And then, like I said, when I have the stuff in my car, I'll be driving and I'll be interpreting it in my brain or playing with it in my brain, you know, and then I'll have to wait till I get home where I can safely do, okay, now, now let me try to see if that looks okay in the air. Because sometimes what I think in my brain might look great. I put it up in the air and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Or I don't like how that flows or you have to do it again. That, wow. Yeah. that The whole process sounds really amazing also like a lot of work yeah yeah well, and sometimes we'll get called like the hershey shows we we know all about them in advance so like we're good there and we usually get the scripts well in advance too but sometimes you know you'll get a concert request four days before the concert and now you have to learn mm -hmm. 25 to 35 songs mm -hmm. in three days um okay hello like <laughs> that's really hard that's a lot like that's really difficult to do um and so you know the more prep time that we can have the better obviously uh, yeah. but sometimes that's not all the case they're like hey can you do a show this friday for this high school they're doing the wizard of oz you're like really <laughs> you know? <laughs> like oh god uh so yeah that's to me a concert to me if it's with such little time sounds like it could almost be harder when talking about subtext because you also just kind of miss out on the context that's being provided by the dialogue before and afterwards absolutely so a uh, a website that i use quite often is called it used to be called rapgenius.com now it's just genius.com mm -hmm. but basically you can go in and you can um enter what any song you can yeah. whatever song and they have the lyrics and then if the lyric ha is highlighted you can click on it and then on the side will pop up the um, rationale behind those words or the meaning behind those words or a story that explains why the, you know, why they they wrote those lyrics. Um, so it's kind of nice in that way because we, we I have that resource out there um, or you try to find an interview with the artist and maybe they talk about like why they wrote a specific song and that helps give you a little bit of context, but it, it's so much, 35 songs, you know, like that's a lot, like plus the opening act, plus, you know, whatever, encore performance, you know, it's like, it's crazy to try to prep for that. It's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. You talk about the actor from the actor's perspective too, you're probably doing more. I'm, I'm sure you are doing a lot more script analysis than they are. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you really have to explore all angles of what something could mean. Because yeah, I mean, you talked about this at the beginning, you are that that link between two different um, cultures, modes of speaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, I would also, I mean, I don't know, when you approach interpreting and you approach, you know, um, 
kind of diving into the subtext, how much do you try to, like how much room do you try to allow for them, the audience to, to pull their own meaning from it? And how do you, how, how would you even approach doing something like that? Um, let me think about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess, and you know, I feel kind of like a broken record, but I guess the ultimate goal is to have the equivalent experience, right? So how much work is the hearing audience having to do? You know, that's what we want the deaf audience to have to do. No more, no less, right? We want it to be equivalent. Um, sometimes we have to provide more information only because there's the cultural part that might be missing, right? Or when you talk about plays on words or you talk about something that's very hearing, you know, then, then you have to do add a little bit more so that they have that full experience. Like for example, a show like Jersey, Board, Jersey Boys, um, I did that show. That's like a big hearing show, right? So like, if you didn't grow up listening to that music, yeah, you know, that's what the whole show is about is these four guys, you know, yeah. like, it's a, you know, um, and so, and also the songs in that show don't move the plot, right? So the songs in that show are just their songs, right? But they don't have kind of any, like, they're not connected to the storyline in the way that they're moving the storyline through. So that has to be made really um, explicit as well, because a, a deaf person watching you would be like, why are you talking about that right now? Because yeah. there's nothing to do with what you just, the dialogue. Now, all of a sudden we're singing about whatever, you know, so <laughs> it, you, sometimes you have to add a little bit more to make sure that it's equivalent so that they're not working like three times harder than everybody else in the audience. Yeah, that's so cool. That, that's such a funny example. I love Jersey Boys. I also just love, I love that music. Yeah. I have two questions left for you, basically. Sure. Uh, on my on my bullet pointed little list over here. Okay. And we've kind of been talking about it the whole time, but like, I guess just generally speaking, like, are there any performances that you came away from and and you were particularly like, proud of or you were like wow that that one was like a really fun that one was particularly enjoyable or fun um or maybe like you know the audience reacted mm -hmm. in a way that really that you were mm -hmm. really happy about mm -hmm. well like I mentioned to you before the Tuesdays with Moria was definitely like a, a great experience um I loved I, I mean, that was probably 20 years ago, and I still remember that comment because it meant so much to me. Um, but I mean, you know, there are just so many shows that you walk away from that you're like, God, that was, you know, the audience, the deaf audience will come up to you afterwards and they'll just be like, thank you. You know, that was, that was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's, you know, I, it's comments like that, obviously, that we, we really appreciate. Um, you know, we do get a lot of hearing audience members that come up to us afterwards and they're like, that was so pretty, you know, and that was so yeah. great. You guys are amazing. Yeah. And, and while I, I don't mean to diminish their comments, um, you know, but, but they don't know that I could have been making mistakes left and right. And they kind of would never have known, you know, but to have the deaf audience recognize the job well done is, is, is pretty powerful. Um, yeah. So here's my kind of general, this is my philosophical question, um, which is the, I ask this for pretty much everything I do now, because um, I think it ties everything together really nicely. We're talking about accessible theater, um, but maybe for you specifically, like what, what is interpreting, what does sign interpreting mean for you? Wow, that's a deep one. <laughs> <laughs> um, specifically for theater, um, I love giving access to 
uh, an avenue or a um, an experience that maybe deaf people might have shied away from in the past. Um, you know, I, I, I love to see repeat people come back um, because I feel like maybe what they kind of envision sitting through a play to be, it would not, you know, it, it differs for them then. Um, it becomes something that they're like, oh, I can enjoy this. Like I can have an equivalent experience. I can go to a musical. You know, I, I grew up deaf. I've never heard music in my life, but I could still go to a musical and really love it. Um, you know, that to me is, you know, makes it kind of worthwhile to do. And, and I love doing it because I love, I love it, you know, and I, I try to bring the passion that I have um, into my performances and so that they can feel that and they can see it. Um, and hopefully it inspires them to, to enjoy theater as well. Definitely. I mean, I, I really, really think it's so important that the arts are made as accessible as we can possibly make them for everyone. Absolutely. Because the arts are just such a fundamental part of, of human beings, of the human existence. Right. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't know, 60 years ago, I don't know how common it was to have interpreters doing musicals. And I just think like how it's just amazing how far we've come. Absolutely. And I'm glad that, that that's being, that, that that's a service that's being provided. Yeah. It's wonderful. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to tie up? Any loose ends that I dropped? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot of ground here. I just, uh, yeah, like I said, I, 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 our primary goal is to just bridge, you know, bridge the two, two languages and two cultures together and make an equivalent experience. And if we've done that, then I feel like we've done our job. Thanks again for listening to Molly Nook Podcasts. The intro song, and the song that you're listening to now, was written and performed by Anna Miller. <laughs>